It's Wednesday, January 29th. I am Martine Powers. This is an impeachment update from Post Reports. The Senate will convene as a court of impeachment. The chaplain will lead us in prayer. On Wednesday afternoon, the Senate began a two-day, 16-hour period of questioning in the impeachment trial. Let us pray. Senior political reporter Aaron Blake was covering it, and he watched as senator after senator posed questions to the president's legal team and the House Democratic managers. The one thing that's a little bit interesting about the process, though, is they don't ask it themselves. They have to submit the questions in writing, which are then read by Chief Justice John Roberts. And this is kind of a side note, but it's funny that this is actually one of the the occasions where we've heard most from Chief Justice John Roberts publicly, like ever. He's spending a lot of time today just reading out these questions from senators. Senator Lee asks uh, of counsel for the president. Senator Cruz, Mr. Chief, question is addressed to counsel for the president. The senator is recognized. Question from Senator Markey to the House managers. Yeah, and of course, we don't get cameras in the Supreme Court, so we can't hear him reading his opinions there or asking questions of the counsels that are arguing the cases. So, yes, him reading these questions is really the largest audio record that we really have of John Roberts since his confirmation hearings. So how would you describe the majority of the questions that we saw today? The senators ask of counsel for the president. Is the standard for impeachment in the House a lower threshold to meet than the standard for conviction in the Senate? The questions are not terribly probing. So far, both sides seem more interested in teeing up their own side's lawyers and impeachment managers for essentially regurgitating talking points that we've already heard throughout the course of this trial. Question from Senator Markey to the House managers. On Monday, President Trump tweeted, the Democrat-controlled House never even asked John Bolton to testify, end quote. So that the record is accurate, did House impeachment investigators ask Mr. Bolton to testify? There are not many questions of the other side's lawyers or impeachment managers. There are not a lot of questions that seem geared towards actually unearthing some new line of argument or new facts. So there might be a little bit more of that moving forward. There is an incentive at the beginning to, I think, as Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer said, to rebut the so many holes in the president's argument. They've been on for three days. And he suggested that as this progresses, there might be a little bit more kind of chance for cross-examination of the other side's lawyers or impeachment managers. But there were a few questions that we've seen so far that seem to come out of a genuine sense of of wanting to understand. And they're questions that are interesting, not just because of the answer they elicited, but also because of what it says about the thinking of the people who were asking it. Right. So as we've been saying throughout this process, it really is about those Republican senators in the middle who are perhaps a little bit undecided or are entertaining the idea of new evidence and new witnesses. The Mitt Romney, of course, is, is among them, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. They actually asked the first question, and it was an interesting one, in which they asked the president's legal team, If President Trump had more than one motive for his alleged conduct, such as the pursuit of personal political advantage, rooting out corruption, and the promotion of national interests, 
How should the Senate consider more than one motive in its assessment of Article 1? And the president's legal team argued that as long as there is basically any public interest here, as long as there is an official reason for the president's actions, that it is not an impeachable situation. That's certainly an interesting argument. It's a very broad argument about the president's powers to do things like this. But I thought it also maybe spoke to an off-ramp that these senators might have. Maybe they don't like that the president was doing this. Maybe they think he was trying to help his own re-election campaign. But if there is a some kind of a purpose here that is official and that maybe is in line with administration policy, maybe they'll argue that it's not a situation where they can remove the president for this. And we saw this a little bit later in the questioning when I believe it was Alan Dershowitz basically made this argument that if the president believes that his reelection is in the public interest, that it becomes a a public where it becomes a policy motivation to do something that gets him reelected, even if that is also a personal motivation. It was a very bizarre, honestly, line of reasoning. But a complex middle case is... I want to be elected. I think I'm a great president. I think I'm the greatest president there ever was. And if I'm not elected, the national interest will suffer greatly. That cannot be an impeachable offense. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. This was the moment of the first several hours of this particular portion of the Senate trial. Patrick Philbin, the deputy White House counsel, is the one who had argued that if there is a dual motivation here, if it's both personal and official, that it's not impeachable. And then Alan Dershowitz took that quite a bit farther by arguing that even if there is no official reason for this, if this was solely about the president trying to get himself reelected, as long as he viewed himself getting reelected as being in the public interest, then it's not an impeachable offense. And it cannot be a corrupt motive if you have a mixed motive that partially involves the national interest, partially involves electoral, and does not involve personal pecuniary interests. And Which basically seems like a blanket excuse for a president to be able to do anything if he thinks that it's going to get him reelected. It goes without saying that if this were to be a line of argument that was accepted by the courts or by the Congress, that would allow the president to do many, many things that may otherwise seem objectionable because they could just say it was for their reelection. I think the pushback on that from Republicans has been Dershowitz's argument only holds if the thing they were doing was not illegal. And in this case, there is obviously no accusation of a statutory crime, only an abuse of power. So I think that they would argue it's maybe not as far reaching of a claim by Dershowitz as it might seem initially. I also thought it was interesting that at multiple points during the Q&A today, there was discussion about this hypothetical situation with Obama and, and Mitt Romney that, that that people basically tried to compare what had happened with President Trump and Burisma and Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son with, well, what if Obama were to have done this when he was competing against Mitt Romney and if one of Romney's sons were involved in some kind of Ukrainian gas company. And it felt like both sides kind of took that hypothetical situation off into its own direction. Yeah. So this began when the Republicans asked a pretty loaded question, which is that, as a matter of law, does it matter if there was a quid pro quo? Is it true that quid pro quos are often used in foreign policy? And Alan Dershowitz 
approach this as you would expect him to by saying, yes, here are examples of quid pro quos. This is how business is done. Adam Schiff then came back. He was given a chance to respond by his own side senators who basically said, do you want to comment on that argument? And he made the point that it's not about quid pro quos. It's about corrupt quid pro quos. And then he did something which was really interesting was he used an analogy, a hypothetical that involved a guy we're talking about a lot right now, Mitt Romney. People may remember back when uh, President Obama during the 2012 election was leaning over to then Russian President Dmitry Medvedev and basically said on a hot mic, I'll have more flexibility after the election to deal with these issues. This was, of course, a, a big thing for Republicans. They thought that Obama was not being honest about this, that he was you know, going to do something after the election that he didn't have the guts to do at that point. And Schiff offered this hypothetical in which President Obama on an open mic says to Medvedev, hey, Medvedev, I know you don't want me to send this military money to Ukraine because they're fighting and killing your people. I want you to do me a favor, though. I want you to do an investigation of Mitt Romney. And said, is there any situation in which Obama would not have been impeached for that? And the assumption is, no, he would have absolutely <laughs> been impeached if he did that. It's Yes, that's the argument. So it's really interesting that Romney's being invoked in this way because obviously he is a swing vote. Maybe Schiff was trying to speak to him personally with that particular analogy, but Republicans didn't seem to want to let that one go quite so easily. Did we get any better sense from the questions or the answers today about whether John Bolton might be allowed to come in and testify or whether any other witnesses are, are going to be able to actually speak on the floor of the Senate? The most interesting question I saw on that front was from Senator Rob Portman from Ohio, who is certainly an establishment Republican, but maybe one of those guys who Democrats would think in an ideal world they could pick off for some of these votes on witnesses. And he basically asked the question of, please address the implications of allowing the House to present an incomplete case to the Senate and request the Senate to seek testimony from additional witnesses. How long would this get dragged out if we started having new witnesses and new evidence? Maybe he was genuinely curious about that. Perhaps it was meant to be an argument against lengthening this process and maybe suggest that he wouldn't be on board with the idea of new witnesses and new evidence. Uh, that may be reading a little bit too much into it. I do think the other thing that's interesting here is the most probing questions we're getting in this entire process have been from Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski. They seem genuinely interested in some of the arguments that are being made by each side. And that, to me, suggests that they are at least projecting that they are very much in play here, if not for removing the president from office, some of these, you know, more near-term questions about witnesses and evidence. Of course, Democrats don't need those three only. They need one more than that. And we don't know who that fourth person would be at this point. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. Aaron Blake is a political reporter for The Fix. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening. Thank you.